0: I cried. It was hard, but to give myself the spaciousness to even look like what else is there? Because this can't be it. And there was something so amazing and epic sitting there for me. That I'm not saying that every single time we make those choices, three weeks later something shows up for us. Very often, in fact, it's harder and more laborious than that. But what I am saying is that when we give ourselves permission to shift and to pivot and to continue to pursue the dreaming. There's something liberating and powerful on the other side of that. If we just trust, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, trusting our gut, trusting our body, trusting our instinct as the gospel truth.
1: Welcome back to Experable. I'm your host, Krati Mehra, and in this show, we learn from the success and struggles of people we admire and dive deep into concepts that help us expand the possibilities available to us so we can freely, boldly design the life we desire, discover the depth and breadth of our capabilities, access the wisdom available in the world around us, and even on really bad days, love what we see in the mirror. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to Exparable. I hope you're having a really good day and I hope your day improves with this episode. Today's conversation is with Ebony Janice who has authored several books and has another book coming out on July 11th titled All The Black Girls Are Activists. Ebony Janice has been a guest speaker on numerous podcasts, YouTube channels and Instagram lives And she uses these platforms to talk about decolonizing authority, racial justice, black women's body ownership, and women's theology. As the founder of the spiritual mentorship project entitled Dream Yourself Free, her message encourages the participants to understand that living a healed, holy, easeful, and pleasurable life is the actual resistance work and activism. She's the visionary and creator of Black Girl Mixtape, a platform that elevates the intellectual authority of Black women. In today's conversation, we dive deep into what it means to have true freedom, creating from a place of love and not resistance, how faith can help us live a life that embodies our highest values, how our childhood self can actually make better decisions than our current self, and how we can involve them in our decision making listening to your gut, emotions, and your body, exercising your conviction with compassion, wise historical figures, and so much more. If you want to get an idea of what this conversation is like, think of a very, very wise philosopher conducting a very gentle therapy session with a very childlike, playful approach backed by some solid practical advice. (laughs) <laughs> this episode is a whole experience and i invite you to please join in let's go so again thank you so much for being here
0: ebony I love it. thank you for having me seriously thank you
1: okay can you please start with your mission and the impact that you are trying to create with your work because your work is very intentional every message that you put out there it has intensity and it has intention so i would love to know the impact you want to create if all the breaks were off what is the change you want to see in the world?
0: Yes, so my my public work is called the Free People Project, And I feel like that, you know, even if I didn't have a mission statement, a vision statement, even if you know that didn't exist, just naming my work, the Free People Project, is really reflective of what i what it is that I want to do and see in the world. I want to see people get free. My background actually is ministry, Christian. I grew up in a super Christian a Southern black Christian experience and have been preaching from a pulpit since I was eight years old. And so with this, you know, I have come into my work as an educator or as, you know, someone who considers himself doing freedom work. I come to it from a very religious, spiritual background, like that, that, thinking of it as ministry, thinking of it as my purpose, thinking of it as this is why God created me so that I could do this work. And the more I got clear clear about it, even though I've had some theological shifting, the more I got clear about it, my mission statement really still remained the same, that I was called to minister to the brokenhearted, empower people into truth, and remind us of our internal capacity to do all things. And so those are my, if I, no limits, no boundaries. If I could just say, this is what I want to see in the world. I want to see people be free. And I'm doing that, I believe, by ministering to the brokenhearted, empowering people into truth and reminding us that there literally are no limits, no boundaries. We can do all things.
1: Wow, that's incredible. But may I ask what true freedom looks like to you?
0: True freedom. The first thing that came to my mind, even though this isn't necessarily my actual definition, but it made me think about Nina Simone when she's talking about it in this uh, old video that many of you um, and your followers may have seen. Um, She says, no fear. It looks like no fear. No fear. And so I do love that definition. I think for me, true freedom feels like being deeply seated in my body. And seated, I mean, like, think about the most comfortable seat that you've ever sat your body down in. Whether, for, for many of us, that will look different. And I think that certainly even applies to what our freedom journey will look like, that it will not all look the same. For some people, they love a more sturdy, firm hold. For some people, they want to fall deep into the cushions. But what is the most safe, seated version of yourself that for me is what freedom feels like the absence of anxiety mm-hmm. the absence of worry mm-hmm. the absence of fret it's just i am here as myself mm-hmm. and that is enough that is sufficient that is freedom to yeah
1: me. i've been spending time around little kids so this is something that has been that has really stood out to me is that these kids they have no concern over how they appear to the world, what they're doing, what they're touching, where they're jumping. They have like no fear whatsoever and no social consciousness. Like they'll put their fingers up their noses, they'll put their hands inside their pants. They don't, <laughs> because they don't understand that there is like, embar- they should be embarrassed doing this stuff. And I was thinking, at what point does society, you know, start, you know, adding all of that to their lives and changing all of this beautiful innocence to just crazy anxiety, crazy self-consciousness that makes it so difficult for us to even be human. So I have to ask you, because you talk a lot about healing in your work and uh, of course the healing looks different for different people, but I want to talk about a self-love that goes beyond just healing past trauma, but also what is ongoing in your life and showing up in a way where you can truly take off the restraints and indulge in free emotional expression. Mm-hmm
0: really it's you i feel like that was the perfect transition talking about children and the absence of like any kind of social filter um yeah and then and then going to like what is the ongoing healing journey look like number one i i was gonna say i just came from um taking my baby nephew he just turned six today to see Spider-Man. He loves Miles Morales. And so we went to see Spider-Man and there's a scene in this particular Spider-Man where there's this little kid on the train just licking back and forth on the window. And Spider-Man <laughs> is outside the window and he's like, "Don't do that. Don't do that. That's gross." And so, but I but I thought about that while, you know, even while I was watching that I I will like tune into stuff that kids just do ridiculous. They're like literal drunk, drunk people. They have no capacity to even (laughs) fathom that like, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe this might not even be safe. And, but I was thinking about that and I was thinking, you know, how do we, there's some socialization, um, almost some brainwashing that has to happen Mm -hmm. for us to, to forget that, to forget, you know, or to learn, I want to say both to both forget some things and to learn yeah. some things because some of the things that we learn growing up is helpful is you know it's beneficial and some of it is just so unfortunate like oh, I hate that I lost that I I'm glad that I learned not to lick the subway car but I hate that I lost you know running around playing just swinging my arms you know I, I hate that I lost that and so I I'm connecting that to thinking about the healing the ongoing healing journey because A major tool in my ongoing healing journey is thinking about little Ebony Janice. Anytime I come to a place that feels, it isn't even necessarily, like I could certainly talk about healing trauma, but Khadijah and Zakia Abdul-Mateen of Unearthed and Bloom, this organization that I do some work with um, through my nonprofit organization, Emma's Legacy Foundation, they, they're a part of their work is around uh, intergenerational healing. And so they use the language of healing rather than healing trauma, right? Like we talk so much about healing and right. trauma, and that feels so violent to our body immediately, yeah. you know? Yeah. But this idea of like this intergenerational, meaning me at this age, me, Ebony Janice at 40, in deep, intimate relationship with me, Ebony Janice at four, me, Ebony Janice at six, me, Ebony Janice at 12, right? And so I'm in that deep, intimate relationship with me that anytime. 40 year old Ebony Janice feels triggered. I don't linger in that trigger. I just ask 14 year old Ebony Janice, what do you wanna do right now? Or what yeah. do you need? Or how do I hold you in this moment? How do I make you safe in this moment? And the major thing that I have been saying for myself very frequently is sometimes I feel like I'm doing too much. I'm being too sensitive. I'm I'm asking for too much. And then I think about four year old Ebony Janice and she's never asking for too much. She's never, you know, So I will always take whatever she's feeling over anybody else's judgment of what it is that I'm feeling so that I can make sure that she gets what she needs. And by her getting what she needs, I get what I need. And it's just a forever journey. I'm just forever in a relationship with little Ebony Janice at various stages, but forever, forever, forever. And little Ebony Janice is 20-year-old Ebony Janice, too. 30-year-old Ebony Janice, too. Like, what does she need? So just this ongoing, forever, intergenerational internalized generation, you know, intergenerational, a generational relationship just forever and ever.
1: I love that. I really love that. First of all, thank you for taking the word trauma away uh, from that conversation, because I, you have to admit, like trauma gets misused, abused a lot. I just did it. uh, And I've been reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And that, you know, just within the first few pages, you realize, dude, (laughs) there is like, there is, are certain things that qualify as trauma but we as a society have just been labeling things left right and center as trauma and they don't qualify and obviously you don't want to invalidate anybody's experience and anybody's pain but at the same time i feel like as soon as trauma is a very big very heavy word and as soon Mm -hmm. as you use that things are worse in your head than they have to be Mm -hmm. and i love that you said relationship with that 14 year old abnijanis or four year old abnijanis because when I was going through uh, my therapy work during depression, that was all we did. We talked about our childhoods. Mm-hmm. We talked about what went wrong, where, what sort of narrative got fed into our heads so deep that it just, it brought us to where we are today in this depressed, sad state where we're b- barely uh, able to do anything. So I love that. And if we, that is how we, first of all, that's very beautiful that you are, cultivating a relationship with your older self uh, your younger self old self and younger self and i think that's just a beautiful way of looking at it and so constructive how how does that work may i ask like how does that work look for you like from day one day to another or if there is any intentionality around it or do you do it as and when something comes up in your life that triggers you
0: everything you just said all it's all of those things The intentionality around it is in the morning I, um, and I don't do this every morning, but most mornings when I'm sitting at my altar, I have this list of like divine beings that I speak to and I, but basically it's all me. And so I will say, what if any message do you have for me today? And little Ebony Janice is the first entity that I ask, what if any message do you have for me today? And sometimes little Ebony Janice would just be like, comb your hair today, (laughs) like, don't do something with your life put some clothes on take a bath like lay in you know like do something look like something today it could be as shady as that or is it could be or it could be as beautiful as you're not asking for too much in that situation like it'll just it'll something like that'll just come to me i'll just close my eyes and envision what if any any message do you have for me today, little Ebony Janice? And and literally I may hear something like, you are not asking for too much. And I'll instinctively just know exactly what little Ebony Janice is talking about. Like, oh, I just had this conversation with my cousin yesterday mm-hmm. and, and I walked away from it feeling like I was asking for too much. And then the next morning, little Ebony Janice reminded me that I'm not asking for too much. So here I am. So there's the intentionality and there's, you know, other ways that I'm intentional in that mm-hmm. relationship. But like the the random can be, I'm in a I'm in the shower and I'm thinking about I'm thinking about somebody that I feel hurt my feelings. And this is adult Ebony Janice. Like they hurt adult Ebony Janice feelings. Right. And I and I'm from the generation of, you know, sending people love and light. You know, that's like oh, I just and so I thought I think that. Yeah. I I send you love and light. And out of nowhere I hear little Ebony Janice say, why? <laughs> Like what? Right, yeah. And I know it's little Ebony Janice because it's, it's kind of petty childish, you know, like why? And, and I start just having a conversation out loud with that version of me. Well, I'm sending love and light because I feel like if I, if I stay upset with them, you know, I will, I will be so angry. I will explode. And little Ebony Janice says to me, has that ever actually happened? Have you ever actually exploded from your anger? (laughs) And so so I say, you're right. And then little Ebony Janice says to me, this is a real situation I had before. Little Ebony Janice says to me, I don't feel safe with you when you do that. When you send love and light to people that have hurt us, it makes me feel unsafe. And so I say, okay, well, what do you want to do, little Ebony Janice? And she says, I just want to stay mad and play with my friends until I'm not mad no more. And... (laughs) But here's the mature translation of that. I want to feel my feelings and love the people who love me yeah. until I don't feel these feelings anymore. But both to both to validate the feelings that I'm feeling, because little Ebony Denise deserves to feel those feelings. And also, she deserves to pay attention to the people who do love her, who she doesn't have to magically, mystically send love and light to. Yeah. And so there's like, I, I appreciate those feelings that those moments that kind of feel like out of nowhere little Ebony Janice shows up and you know I'm like okay there's a message here and then you know just one other example that I'll give is when I am feeling you know I just spoke to this when I am feeling super sensitive Mm -hmm. and I start judging myself I take that judgment as a as the moment like that is the indication to me that I'm not paying attention to some version of myself and so I and so I always go to little Ebony Janice first like oh i'm judging am i judging grown ebony janice am i judging 30 year old ebony janice am i you know who am i judging here because there's some judgment and i don't know that it actually belongs to me and so i'll start with little ebony janice and be like well how do you feel and the very first thing is i'm always validated in whatever it is that i feel even if i need to you know grow some mature some change some things I'm never invalidated. Little kids, you know that. Little kids, you could be crying. I could be crying. And my little cousin can walk in the room and be like, it's going to be okay. And like, you know, just touch you. Yeah. And they never tell you, quit crying. This is silly. They never ever invalidate however yeah. it is that you're feeling. You're feeling so little Ebony Janice never ever invalidates my feelings. It's like, it's fine. It's, it's going to work out. But in the meantime, feel those feelings. And then so there's some intentional and there's some it just comes to me and i just trust it i just trust it no matter what okay again that's beautiful
1: and now so many questions uh Mm -hmm. of course like what you said that is super relatable that we always like anytime we have this even if it's a huge huge fight a life like a relationship shifting fight we always try to forgive the other person but at some point you're like why why do i have to forgive them but i Always feel like there are all of these ideas that are pressing at us, at our defenses, at our guard, at just our mental space where they're telling us, no, this is how you should behave Mm -hmm. when your feelings Mm -hmm. are telling you, but this is what I actually need. Why do I have to go down this path when it doesn't feel comfortable? So I would love Mm -hmm. to know from you how you've done this for yourself, established clarity so you know how Mm -hmm. you want things to be, how you're going to act and what you're going to take in and what you're going to reject because there's so much cultural conditioning, so much societal conditioning, Mm -hmm. familial conditioning. How do we tell when we are taking on something that other people are throwing at us, the society is shoving at us and when do we figure out this is what what actually works for me? I mean, I get that there are people who would absolutely send love and light even when they're at their angriest so that they can do it and it did not just mm. works for their relationship but it actually makes them feel better but then like i'm someone who needs to be angry for a while and even maybe call up that person and let them know hey that was real shitty what you did do you think you can mm. not do that again because otherwise i don't think this it's work." so how but how do we figure that out the right path for us
0: Well, that is the answer that every single one of us has our own path. And and I think that it will look different for all of us. One of the things that I think could be the same for all of us, though, is or could be helpful for all of us is learning to trust ourselves above all everything else. And that comes with learning to trust our instinct, learning to trust our bodies, learning to trust our gut. I always use the example when I talk about this of, you know, they use the language of your instinct or your gut or your guard dog. Like those three things with like your guard dog, it'll start barking, whatever, whatever. I have a dog. My dog is currently in this room behind me right now. I never worry about like taking calls or, you know, doing podcast interviews and anything in the same room with my dog because he's never going to make any noise. He doesn't make noise. He's he is about to be 14 years old. This is an old man, and in the 14 years that he's been in my life, because I've had him since he was a baby, he doesn't bark. He doesn't make any noise. People, have, it's a it's funny, but even though it's not funny, but it's funny. People ask me, did you get your dog's like voice box taken out or something? Because he never makes any noise. He does not bark, but occasionally, some my dog will say mm. like that's it. Like that's the most noise he'll make. He'll say hmm. And the first couple times he did it, because the dog doesn't make noise, I was like, what is going on with the dog? Then I started paying attention to yeah. it. There would be somebody like two minutes later knocking on my door like, or three minutes later, somebody's walking up the street. And I always, always, always like I can track it now. Like if I hear my dog's name is puppy. <laughs> if I hear puppy say, mm, I know somebody's either coming to the door or, you know, he's just extremely sensitive in that regard. This is, this is. My dog is the perfect example, I think, of your gut instinct because it's not a bark. You know, when, when people say guard dog, you think it's going to be this loud, like, wah, 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 wah. it's not that all the time. Sometimes it might be. Sometimes it might be this blaring, like, get the hell out of here right now. But very often your gut is just, mm, that's it. That's it. It's just a slight something. You don't, but we have been taught to not trust that. We have been taught to like make that, you know, not mean anything. But if you were to really start to track every time you felt that mm, and didn't pay attention to it, and things didn't work out the way that you would have desired it to, you would see that there was never a time that there wasn't, at the very least, a mm, there was something always, always, always. I used, I remember when I was dating this guy years ago. We had just started dating. We were writing. Uh, this is a random. I remember random details. We were on twenty in Georgia, in in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Metro Atlanta, riding down the highway, listening to Joni Mitchell, and he said he's. I was asking him something, and he said, uh, "Well, I don't actually ever see myself not living in Georgia." I knew myself well enough at that time. I was in my early twenties. I knew I knew that I wasn't going to live in Atlanta for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. and something inside of me said. Mm-hmm. three years later when the relationship ended because his family felt like I was taking him away from them because of the travel that we were doing together, whatever. And, and he, you know, accepted more of what his family wanted for him than what we, what he wanted in our relationship. I, I went back to that moment where we were riding down 20, listening to Joni Mitchell. And he told me, and my body said, "Mm, my my body told me three years early. This is how your relationship is going to end. I stayed in the relationship for three years, yeah. three more years, and that is exactly how my relationship ended. And so it, it seemed it could seem so tiny, it could seem so insignificant. You talk yourself out of it so much. So now my practice over the years of you know accumulating that kind of like mm, and and paying more attention to it. I don't care what it is. It can be. Um, Ebony Janice, I'd like to give you $30,000 just to da 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 whatever. And if my body says, "Mm," I will say, I'm, you know, I either need some time to talk about it, you know, with my team or I need to think about it or, you know, or it's a pass for me, right? And I just trust it no matter how good the thing, how much I want to try to talk myself, to just trust it. And I think that when we learn to really trust ourselves over everything else, you could show up with a, with supposed facts, examples, details, and specifics—the proof, the evidence—and if my body says, mm, "I believe me over whatever it is that you're showing me," and that that takes practice, that takes some serious failure. Yeah. I had a I had a mm moment in 2021 that I ignored that cost me thirty five thousand dollars. Well. Wow. Because. That cost me thirty five thousand dollars in in a in two moves in three months. Oh no. Not small moves. New Orleans to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Brooklyn. I don't live in either of those places anymore. Thirty five thousand dollars. And and a lot of headaches, chaos, a lot of other stuff. Yeah. But before I did the LA move, I felt uh mm, and didn't listen to it. And so, you know, again, it could be like it could be so tiny like oh i ended up stubbing my toe because i didn't listen to that mm. or it could be huge oh i ended up getting you know in this unfortunate relationship because i didn't listen to it or oh i ended up losing lots of money that i really would like to have back you know if i would have listened to that mm. and so that the the other thing i want to say very quickly is i learned to trust my feelings that's inside of that you know just i believe me above everything else and if and because i want to experience either the benefit or the consequence of my own actions meaning if you tell me something and i do it and it's wrong i don't want to be mad at you you know I, I would rather oh i made that choice that was the choice mm-hmm. that i made mm-hmm. if you tell me if i make, decide to do something and it turns out great you know i want to be like oh here's the benefit of me trusting myself so i live in both of those and the and the last thing is yeah the that's inside of that too some of that question that you're asking is the appropriate response what is the what is an appropriate response to your heart being broken you know society has a judgment of what's appropriate for you to do in certain moments but it's your yeah. experience so what is the appropriate response that's that's all up to you People will handle things drastically different. I know someone whose mom trans- transitioned, and she was able to stand up in the pulpit at the funeral and read her mother's, you know, eulogy, and was perfectly fine—not N- perfectly fine, like you know, it wasn't hurting her, but she didn't have a public emotion, and th- and that was genuine for her. It was just, I'm okay right now. And then I know somebody who tried to climb over in the casket when her mother transitioned. So everybody's response is going to be different. Both are appropriate both are appropriate to the the experience and the and the thing that helped me get to that and i'm done with this sermon remember i said i was a preacher the thing that helped me to get to that is i was going through a depression after the breakup the three-year breakup in my early 20s i was going through the great depression of 2011 is what i called it and i was feeling like because i was super christian still at the time i was thinking does this mean i'm not saved you know what does this mean about me that i'm having this depression you know i had such a judgment of myself for being so sad because my boyfriend broke up with me and this scripture came to me uh first samuel 30 uh uh first samuel chapter 30 and basically what's happening in this text is david king uh, he's not the king yet he's just a warrior and he um They come back from zigzag. they've won all these battles. And when they get back to their camp where their children and their wives were and all of their bounty is, everything has been pillaged. Things have been burned down. Their wives and their children have been stolen. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse four, and they wept aloud till they had no strength left to weep. That set me free. It was like, oh, that's an appropriate response to returning to all of your things gone. Like that is appropriate. And whatever it is that I'm feeling right now, how I'm feeling is an appropriate response to this thing breaking in my life. And I'm gonna feel every ounce of it so that when I'm done, I I cried that out. I got that out the way. And then, because then after they weep aloud until they have no strength left to weep, yeah. David does get up and he puts on the garment of worship and he goes to see God's face and he says, what should I do? And God says, pursue. And so he knows exactly what to do, but he, but he does that after. He, these are warriors. They wept aloud till they had no strength left to weep. You got to imagine what that looked like for warriors to be crying till they wear themselves out. That is like the appropriate response to everything's gone. That's the appropriate response to life is hard. That's the appropriate response to my heart is broken. It's appropriate. So I just trust myself. I give myself permission and I, and I, you know, believe my body like it's the gospel truth.
1: Yeah. Okay. Wow, that was amazing, and thank you so much for taking your time with it. Because I think this is a, such a huge struggle. I will tell you something. My audience, every single member of my like the the community that is fully engaged and talks back to me, and like we have discussions. This is an ongoing struggle. Trusting your instincts. I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, budding entrepreneurs who are building up their businesses, but they're building up businesses that are very service oriented and very. Um, where they're, they're pouring their personality into it. So this constantly comes up. My instincts are telling me to do this, but the experts, the how this other person who's super successful did it is very different from how I want to do it. How do I trust this? What if I'm just choosing the easier path? Questions like that come up all the time, all the time. And I do know, like what you said, I, I found that such a such a relevant point does a bit about self-accountability. Like the moment you start taking accountability for your actions, the consequences, you accept them as your own. Mm -hmm. I think it's easier to make that leap because you know that at the end of the day, I'll be the one paying the price. So let me do what feels right to me, even if the whole world is standing against that move. And Mm -hmm. thank you so much Mm -hmm. for sharing all of that, because that is so hugely helpful. I think it takes a lot of practice, as you said, to do that. Uh, I know... I struggle with it. Yeah, sometimes the struggle is so loud and it's loudest when it's something super important. Like, you know, you're going to be facing the consequences of what you're about to do for the, for probably the rest of your life. And it's, mm-hmm. it's so loud. But I'm always reluctant to talk about it. But do you think like having faith in your life, believing in a higher power makes it easier?
0: Yes. <laughs> but, but here's what it is for me though. I think that coming to the revelation that the higher power was not some faraway entity you know i'll come back to intimate relationship when i was younger and i have you know like i said my background super christian when i was younger i i had this imagination of god as in heaven in heaven away from me and so because of that when i would think about my destiny or when i would think about the path that i was on when God coming to give me some answer or some rescue, I would—I had to think that God was coming. It was a journey for God to get to me, right? So if anytime I would ask for something, even for uh, help, even for, you know, help to ease this anxiety that I'm feeling in my, because my imagination of God in heaven is external and it's yeah. far away from me, I had already believed for myself that I would have to wait for relief that I would have to wait for an answer, that I would have to wait for redemption. A part of my theological shift did take me away from the belief that God was some external experience. And and so now I, I, and I wanna say this because I don't necessarily really flesh out my religious uh, truth system publicly very often because it it is miscellaneous sometimes, but especially because I still talk about uh, the Bible very often. There are a lot of things. The Bible is one of my sacred texts. It is not my only sacred text, but it is one of the texts that I do draw from for wisdom. And then sometimes the things that are harmful from the Bible, I I use that as instruction for what not to do. I will not have this mentality. I'm learning that from this text. But one of the things that I love is in this time of my theological shift, when I needed to understand God as like this very present experience inside of me, is there is a scripture for that. And and it's basically uh, Zephaniah 317, it says, God is singing and dancing all around us even while we are unaware. And because dreaming and imagination work is a part of my deep spiritual practice, I I needed to envision what that looks like. What does it look like for God to be singing and dancing all around me even while I'm unaware? Like I went through a season even of asking God, what is the song that you're singing? I need to know what the song is then because I'm gonna lose my mind. I need to hear that song, you know. I need to know what the dance looks like. And so I I would envision and imagine God singing and dancing all around me like an Alvin Ailey dancer, just twirling and whirling just beautiful songs just coming, just songs that just flowing from this beautiful dancer's heart. And the more I saw that wrapping and twirling all around me, the more I saw myself literally as the manifested portion of God's grace. And no longer did I have to see God as far away from me. So certainly that helps me knowing, believing that I am, if I am a creation of God, of the divine, then I am a portion of the divine. I am a manifested proof of God's divinity. And so I, my divine personality, who I actually am, is an expression of God. Therefore, it makes it even more important for me to show up as actual Ebony Janice because actual Ebony Janice is proof of God and is an expression of the goodness of God and is also an expression of, you know, how God maneuvers through really, really hard times. So what so that's again why I continue to come back to this journey is very unique yeah. to all of us because I am one tiny, I'm a big deal to God, I believe, but I'm one tiny portion of the proof of God or the manifestation of God's divinity. And so in 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 seeing that and seeing God as not far away, but me as that proof, it, it certainly makes it a lot more easy for me to say, what is that? Because that that mm, you know the guard dog sound, like that little sound, yeah. that little instinct. It's not me left to my own devices. I make thirty five thousand dollar mistakes, you know. So it's not it's not yeah. even it's not even Ebony Janice, you know, yeah. in this flesh experience. The, the the wisdom is the internal knowing that hasn't been squashed that hasn't been socialized out of me, that hasn't been, you know, aggressed out of me, that hasn't been beaten out of me. And so I trust that, like like I said earlier, I, I trust my body, I trust that instinct, I trust that sound, like it is the gospel because that is a part of, imagine your body is a sacred text, yeah. right? Yeah. Instead of having to read this book to know what is good, what is right, what is holy, my body gets to tell me, like, this is good. I, I experienced that in my pleasure this is right. I experienced that in the way that I'm leaning towards this. This is holy. I experience that in the fact that I feel like a whole being, right? This body is sacred text. And so learning to trust it, it really is certainly helped by the fact that I don't, that I do have deep faith in a higher power, but not as a higher power, like a way for me, a higher power that is singing and dancing and infleshing, you know, itself all around me all day long.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Uh That Thank you so much again for sharing that because I think that's really helpful. I, when I was younger, I used to uh, put like a bowl of chits in front of God when I would pray and I would ask my question. And then I would place some chits there with a variety of answers to so pull those out. <laughs> Yes. I love that. <clears throat> I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I just <laughs> I sit and I talked to him and I talked to him like he's my he's my bud and he's just like looking out for me. And yeah, what you what you said, the expression looks so different, but I love what you shared because this is something that stood out to me so hugely um when I was work going through like workshops with so many mm-hmm. people from all over the world who were learning to love themselves and re- th- this thing stood out to me the, the like so blatantly I am a I am God like I am part of him and for me the highest form of self-love self-expression is looking out for my needs because how can it be okay for me to hurt myself when I know for a fact that I was I'm his creation or for yeah, right. me to hurt other people when I know for a fact that I I am, they are his creation. And then uh-huh. to do all of these rituals and all of these prayers. But then at the end of the day, if I'm hurtful to myself and right. to others, mm-hmm. the, where, just mm-hmm. all of that worship and all of those practices that I'm doing when I'm fasting or I'm kneeling or I'm doing all of those things, do they even matter?
0: So uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: I, I love that. I think that is something the moment you internalize that, the world shifts for you. The moment oh, you realize, You are part of him. He's constantly or she's constantly or they are constantly, 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 constantly looking out for you. And they're here with you every second of every minute.
0: And there's Mm -hmm, a prayer mm -hmm. that
1: I usually sing um, that says that, you know, when you cry, you know, God is already crying in your pain for you.
0: Even before Mm, you
1: felt that pain, God was already sad and he was crying for you.
0: I I love that, that God enters into my grief with me and God enters into my celebration with me both. And the both is very important to me in this particular season of my life, you know, that I I had to learn that that life is not one thing ever, you know. I I grew up really believing that I would have like um like mountain season, valley season. You know, you got to go through some valleys to get to the mountain top experience. And it, it was yeah. just quite a revelation yeah. for me to realize that that's not a real thing at all, that at the same time that the best thing in the world could be happening to me, awful things could be happening both to me and in the world at the yeah. same time. So learning to hold space for both is just like wisdom. It's like I, because I got disappointed, I did. I reached one of my highest goals a couple years ago it with ease and i and i got there and i and i thought whatever story i thought i thought that i would get to this goal and i would be like everything's great now and i and i got to that moment and there were things like in other areas of my life just falling apart and i was like wait a minute everything's supposed to be great what's happening (laughs) and and it was just like devastation it was like literally the best of times the worst of times and so the more then i started just really paying attention to that like oh that's the theme of life that things are things can be amazing and awful at the same time and it's our responsibility to both give ourselves permission to feel the grief or whatever it is that we feel about the awful thing and to also celebrate and be deeply grateful for how how generous life can be at the same at the same time that life can be i say i call it life you raggedy bitch. at the same time life could be a raggedy bitch. life can also 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 be so generous and so learning to both is my current major like that's the path i'm on can i both today can i be both like this is awful and this is amazing you know and hold space for both of those that's the i think that that's the there's some you gotta mature quite a bit i'm working on that you know you have to you know mature to be able to hold both space for both but that's the goal, I think, is to first to figure out how to be both and be with both.
1: Yeah, I think we always try to be selective about our experiences, and I don't think that works. I think you take away a lot of the beauty when you do that. That's the beauty about being a human being, right? Being awake and aware of it all. Um, I do see like there's so much. Um, fear in the world right now of course because of what's happening because of how the economies are shifting there's an actual war going on (laughs) the ai all of it there's just so much fear and the social conversation is shifting a lot the conversations around equality representation all of it is shifting a lot and on my best day i am confused i will say that (laughs) on my best day i don't know what to like there's a lot of it that because I'm, I feel like I'm not an active part. I think when you mm-hmm. believe so much in God, you kind of—I don't know if I should be saying this or not—you kind of disregard so other people to a certain extent, like society okay. to a certain extent. Because I believe in God so firmly that there is almost a different world that I exist in when mm-hmm. there's too much going on around me. But I want to ask you because I know you take an active part and you do like you try to make space for everyone and understand what they're saying. The way the social conversation is shifting, taking that into account and understanding the fear that is almost constantly dominating the world. Where do you see all of this going and and what do you think we as individuals can do better? Like, especially the younger generation that is taking such an active part through social media in all of these conversations. And what do you have to say about their perspective on things and the way they're showing up? Do you think there's like a, they're doing it right or there's a better way to go about it?
0: Well, I think I, I couldn't necessarily speak to doing it right or wrong because there's so much out there, right? And so
1: right, right. you know,
0: so I so I can't speak to that. But what what I will say is that there is a lot that I do love about younger millennial and Gen Z, the their resistance, their right. refusal to just accept the social construction. Of their realities as is, and it feels very aggressive sometimes, because for me, as an elder millennial, I feel I know that I was raised both in um, spiritual religious institutions and um, even even professional institutions, and and additionally in activist spaces. You know. That there is a proper protocol, you know. I grew up in the era still of Robert's Rules of Order, you know, where you can't even start a conversation without having someone like, "Can we have a vote that we can start this discussion?" And so I, I grew up in that era. Right. But I I also grew up in a hip hop era, and hip hop is just in this ever evolving, you know, being, and it's a major part of my. Both my spiritual, religious, and my sociopolitic. So it's impossible for me to separate my ethic or my praxis from hip hop and the way that hip hop started and what it is today. It has evolved so much. There's a lot of it that I don't love, but there's a lot of it that I still really I feel very proud of. You know, I I really love that there is still this radical voice and message that exists in this space. And i'm i'm putting these things together i say all that to build too i i believe that there is a generation now and after me that knows something that i don't know i i I have been able to stand on the shoulders of my elders and i can see further than them because i'm on their shoulders yeah so that's the point that's the reason why they ran to as far as they could run and then lifted me up here on their shoulders, so that I can be up here seeing what it is that I see, and I see something different, and I see uh, I see a new way to do things, and I see a new way to consider things, and I and I'm making that hip hop you know connection. There's there's new sound, there's new you know there's new technology, there's there's new ways of thinking about you know the craft, et cetera, et cetera. So I see things differently than what my elders did, but. I am doing this work so that I can lift a generation on my shoulders and it's my job to trust that they're going to see something that I cannot see. That's the point. They are lifted higher than me and have more access, certainly both as a result of me and the elders that came before me and our ancestors. Yeah, yeah. But it's not my job to dictate to them from here, hey, this is how it should be done. It's my job to hold them steady to support them right so that they can yeah. hopefully hopefully we've all you know up to this point done the job done the good work of you know instilling a deep moral compass or i won't even say moral compass because morality is you know constructed time too but deep integrity deep integrity in oneness yeah. with with the all right that that what i'm doing that it will not cause harm to others. In fact that it will do good for others. And you know, so what that looks like. And so I don't I don't have like the this is exactly what it should look like. But I think a major part of and I mean I've introduced this in fact in in the book that um, of mine that's coming out July eleventh um all the black girls are activists a fourth wave woman is pursuit of dreams as radical resistance this idea of fourth wave womanism really is asking us to consider that our our actual activism is deeply spiritual it's in the it's it's using those tools to move us forward and not necessarily only assuming yeah. that our activism should look like marching petitions you know um protest and that isn't Excuse me that into that isn't not at all to suggest that those tools are not still relevant because we need both you know like the dreaming and the praxis we need to be able to implement it but that is to say that there are so many of us i think me what i have called out in this book me and my peers are really saying if we could like help us to heal and to evolve and to grow this my generation at the very least if we could help us to heal evolve to grow or to be on our healing journey to be on our evolution journey to be on our growth journey enough that when the when the next generation that does yes. climb itself up on our shoulders is looking out into into the future into the this is what is coming that we know that we've done this deep work that has equipped them to, to be able to do hopefully what is right and when I think about my generation and what the, what we were taught and how much of that we've rebelled against, and, and how far that rebellion has brought us even further. I just trust it. I, I trust that like, at some point, at some point yeah. my nephews will be like, ain't you that's cute, but that's not gonna work anymore. And I tell them that often, I, I tell them one day you'll be smarter than me. Sometimes I tell them today isn't that day, <laughs> but. Right but one day you'll be smarter than me that's my ultimate goal that at some point you will know more than me yeah. and i will look at you and wonder and be like i don't know how you even thought that with your brain but okay <laughs> let's see what it, let's see what happens so yeah i yeah. i don't have like the concrete answers other than i think that we need to be prepared to do the deep work of of continuing to evolve so that the next generation has firm and steady you know, shoulders to stand on, to see what it is they see. And, and, and I just believe that we can trust them because our elders could trust us for the most part, you know, they could trust us. But I, I
1: would love your opinion on where do you see conviction fitting in with compassion and making space for all of humanity? Because activists, especially activist work, especially work that's all about changing, making, or at least changing social structures, making the world better in, in however... Uh, like to whatever extent you understand it, it it all works on conviction. You cannot create change unless you are convinced that you're walking the right path because that takes so much energy and so much force. So where does conviction fit in with, because at the same time, the wisest man is the one who knows that he knows nothing at all, right? That's that's what we believe. There's always, 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 always a perspective that you have not considered. But taking that Mm -hmm. idea on board And at the same time, also doing the work that needs to get done, you need conviction. Do you think those two Mm. ideas can coexist peacefully?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that conviction is a seed and that's all, that's my responsibility, that my conviction, like whatever it is that I believe deeply, passionately about, I, I have to trust that I am, again, a portion of the manifestation of God. So I come to earth convinced convicted empowered equipped to to sow the seed of this thing that is me that is my work that is my responsibility and and so that's it now you don't i would love for you to get on board Mm -hmm. yeah but you don't have right unless it's causing harm to someone else you don't have to get on board you know you could decide that you don't agree that you know all the black girls are activists that's okay that's that's a choice right but i but i'm convinced it is i'm i'm convinced this is the truth i'm convinced this is right and so i'm planting my seed and what i know from deep ancestral work that i am something that my great great grandmother fathomed and there's some iterations of me that she couldn't fathom but i'm something that she fathomed there is two three generations from now that will look back at this moment of ebony janice their ancestor and they will be like that lady how does she think that for us yeah, yeah. how does she imagine that for us and and they will get to actualize the seed that i planted right. that's my job right. i am my conviction is the seed for what is to come i want to see in my lifetime more ease i want to see in my lifetime you Know policies change. I want to see in my lifetime, you know, people feel loved. You know, I, I want to see those things in my lifetime, of course. But the reason why I just see it as this is my seed, this is my seed to sow, is that also helps me to not roll around in the floor if you ever disagree with me. Okay, I wasn't talking to you then. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: I'm
0: Sonia Renee Taylor. Sonia Renee Taylor said this. Uh, to me a while ago, and it set me free from arguing about my purpose. Sandra Renee Taylor said, I only want to have conversations with the people who are having the same conversation as me. I don't want to have to convince you to be a part of this conversation. You could come along if you want to or not. I really would like for you to. I do feel deeply passionate that you do because my conviction is that this is true. Yeah. But if you don't want to come there are lots of other conversations to be had and you will be safe there. And you will make me safe if you go have them yeah. instead of trying to force me out of the thing that I am convinced of. And so as long as as long as long your conviction, the seed that you're planting isn't a seed that is of, of discord that causes harm to others, right? There's there's this saying, I have better language for this, but it's not coming to now. but there's a saying that basically says don't just not cause harm, do good, you know and so it's that right I don't I, I don't want to just leave it at as long as your conviction doesn't cause harm because that's not enough. Your conviction also do good, you know so 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 as long as you're sowing like seeds of like this this will do good, then we can we can trust the the harvest of it maybe in our lifetime but at the very least a generation or two from now we can trust that, you know, that's, and so that's my responsibility. My responsibility is just to planting the seed of my conviction is not to force you to eat. Okay. That was amazing. That was so beautiful. And I wish the world could internalize
1: the ideas that you've shared, because I think I would feel a lot safer trusting my leaders and trusting Mm -hmm. the system that I exist in. If I believe that the people who were leading in that moment had love for everyone, but the way we see the political debates, the way we see Right. people who are mm-hmm. at cross purposes talking to each other it really looks like they're actively hating the other side and that makes i think that makes me feel very unsafe and i'm sure others share in that experience because you can disagree and maybe you'll win that particular fight but i would like to know that you have love for your fellow humans even if they stand right. on the opposite end of things and
0: right right, right. Yeah. agreed. Mm-hmm. i love mm-hmm. i love what mm-hmm. you
1: shared and yes uh, this is really helpful because i think this younger generation, these young kids, um, when whenever we talk, I always try to remind them that you have experience, and maybe you have experience that I don't. But at the same time, you also have, like, you're you're 20 years old, so maybe there's still so much more that you have to experience. Let's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's remember that. But congratulations on all the conviction you have, because that's not easy to come by. But as you said, plant the seed. Be careful of the execution, like. Have love. Do no harm. Mm-hmm. Be mm-hmm. very careful of how you go about it. And maybe you won't see it through. Maybe someone else will.
0: And mm-hmm. yeah,
1: that's okay. I love how you.
0: Yeah. I, I, with that, I, I certainly, this is a part of my, when I used to teach um, graduate school courses, I will always introduce a, a major part of my teaching methodology. My practice is that I I come in the door and I know that I know a lot. I do, I know a lot, but I also know that you know a lot. And so I'm not the only person in the room that knows a lot and it would be good for all of us if we all brought the lot that we know into this circle and and shared it with each other. And so that, you know, when I think about how I am either mentoring both from afar or hands-on you know, generations behind me. I I always, it's, again, it goes back to what I tell my nephews. One one day you'll know way more than me, you know. Today might not be that day. <laughs> yeah. but, but what I'm also affirming in that is I know that you know something though. So you have the great benefit as my nephews that you get to not just have what you know, mm-hmm. you get the, the benefit of access to all that I know so don't throw all that i know away just because of what you know take everything i know add it with what you know and then you make something even more amazing than what either of us know by ourselves but that's the great benefit of like having having elders and ancestors who have done some iteration yeah maybe not be not the full manifestation right because neither have we we still haven't seen the full manifestation of how good it can get yes. you know but but i know that i take the the wisdom of the elders and i don't throw it away even when they go left and and some of my heroes have gone left in are and when they've gotten older and they've been like i don't I am against this or I'm against that. And I'm like, oh, I wish you would have never said that publicly, but okay. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't throw away every wise thing they said to yeah. that moment. Yeah, I take that wisdom and I say, if this is where we part, I thank you deeply for all that you taught me in this moment. I walk away with that and now we're going to keep moving forward so i think that you know using my nephews as the example i you have the benefit you have the privilege of an aunt who happens to know a lot and you know a lot take my access knowing resources whatever combine it with your little imagination and make something even more amazing than we could ever think on our own and so yeah. That I think, you know, is certainly something that I I really would love to say more to younger generations, yeah. not from a, a haughty place or a place of arrogance. It's just mm-hmm. don't throw away what the elders know, take what the elders know and add to it. And, you know, that's how we will go into the future
1: yeah.
0: and and be better. I love that. Uh, okay. So, but I have to ask creating from a place of
1: resistance versus creating from your dreams when you are no longer holding yourself back what does that look like i have to ask
0: Mm -hmm. so i had this revelation several years ago that particularly for so many black women i would certainly say people with marginalized identities but black women exist in a very unique uh, if you just understand intersectionality then you understand you know like all the at the intersection of being both raced and gendered being both black in an anti-black society and women in a misogynistic you know sexist society being a black woman can be you know yikes face insert insert the yikes face emoji here and so although although it's a very beautiful existence to to live into but so i was thinking about this i was thinking about the fact that so much of how i have created how i've created my businesses how i've created you know, even my art, how I've created so much of the work that I've created in the world was really from a place of resistance. Um, we shall overcome someday, or I'm creating this because I wanna talk about freedom, or I wanna talk about liberation, I wanna talk about, you know, what, what will it look like for us to, you know, see the other side of this and our freedom journey, whatever. So, so much of it is from resistance or so much of it is from a place of, um, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Oh, I'm tired of this not existing for me. So let me go create this or even programming that we have to create because if we don't create this supplemental programming, then we won't have access to that or whatever. And so when I thought about that, I, it took me back to little Ebony Janice and when I was a little girl, there is a version of me as a very young girl who's super conscious, you know, who knows that she will be an activist. And I'm a small, small girl when I when I know this about myself. But there's also a version of little Ebony Janice who was so innocent, who just wanted to be a ballerina, who wanted to be the mascot for the Cleveland Indians. I'm from Ohio. You know, who who wanted to just be a dancer, who wanted to be an orthodontist, who had these very innocent non-activist justice related dreams. Yeah. And that that just really hit me. Like I thought about that, like, oh, my dreams as a little girl are drastically different than what they ended up having to be because I grew up in a cis heteropatriarchal you know, white supremacist society. And so that all of those, you know, identities marginalized, you know, created a new story for me about who it is that I could be and or what it is that I would need to do in order to survive, not thrive, just survive. Right. And I, and I thought, okay, I wonder, I wonder at this big age, because I was in my thirties at the time, I wonder at this big age, what would happen in my life if I stopped creating from resistance, if I stopped teaching the thing mm-hmm. that, uh, that I teach, if I stopped you know letting my public platform be focused on anti-racism education if i stop doing that because so much of that is the burden of everybody's you know isms you know the burden of everybody's violence towards me and my multiple identities has been put on me okay let me see what this looks like and so i started asking the question to my some of my girlfriends some of my friends who would if you could do anything if there were no limits no boundaries if your race your gender weren't keeping you would you be doing what it is that you're doing and 99.999 percent of the homies said hell no they would not be doing i'm talking about people's faves in various industries tech fashion education all of everybody said hell no i wouldn't be doing this and so i started to just explore that more for myself what is my actual dream and i would Uh and so i would Uh start doing something And then i would get to the end of it and realize oh this isn't my actual dream either this is this is like commodification of my talent this is still capitalism okay so let me what is my actual dream oh this isn't my actual dream this is just the highest imagination that i had at the time so i would stop doing that what is my actual dream and the more i began to pursue my life like what is my actual dream the more i got to i would get to some dead ends and just give myself permission to pivot. But I will also get to some wonderful spaces and be like, I never would have saw this if I kept being an anti-racism educator, even though I didn't mean to be doing that. Right? I never had time to actually fathom or imagine my life as something other than trying to tell people to stop oppressing me. I never would have imagined it. And the the example that I use as I close that is there is a line in The Color Purple. uh, Alice Walker wrote The Color Purple, but the movie, you see, uh Miss Sophia who's played by Oprah Miss Sophia stomps up to Seeley, who's played by Whoopi Goldberg in this old movie that came out in the 80s and Miss Sophia says to to uh she says you told Harpo to beat me and Seeley says to Miss Sophia you know life won't be hard always heaven will be here soon and so she's basically telling her you won't have to worry about all this pain once we get to heaven and Miss Sophia says you ought to bash Mr over the head and worry about heaven later, which is basically her way of saying, we're not going to let the future dictate for us. Oh, when we go to heaven, we'll be better. We'll understand it better by and by. Which, for yeah. a lot of um, black people, particularly descendants of uh, slaves here in the US, we have had to use heaven as this hopeful place of like, well, we won't see freedom in this lifetime. So we'll see it when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven. And so what I'm ultimately saying is what Miss Sophia said to Seeley. We ought to bash Mr. Over the head and worry about heaven later. We have the right to right now in this body experience, pleasure, bliss, joy, ease to to think about our wildest imagination, to think about our highest imagination and that our that becomes our actual justice work is to continue to pivot. Every single time we walk up on a place and realize, oh, this is just capitalism oh, this is just, you know, this is me just perpetuating more isms. This is me just perpetuating more violence towards myself. Every single time we arrive there, we have the right to pivot. And that pivoting is equally as valuable as if we were to march to Selma tomorrow. It is equally as valuable because ultimately what we're saying is I deserve heaven now. I should not have to wait until i go you know at the end of this life in this lifetime my body is very worthy of that and so i'm using dreaming as the language of what is your actual dream not this thing that you feel like you've been that you have been forced into because of the multiple identities that you know are marginalized but what is the actual dream and what if the pursuit of that actual dream was the thing that would actually get us closer to freedom than we've ever been from my own lived experience i'm i'm going to say with certainty that it has been hard to do that cuz i've had to i ended a lecture series midway through i had people that had already paid for the full year i gave back close to $75,000 right. worth of money for a lecture that existed because when i came to myself one day and said this is not my actual dream i don't actually want to talk about this anymore i had to give up a lot of money that was hard And I, and I not financially, I didn't just have $75,000 to just throw away. So that was a huge decision for me to say, I'm going to refund these people, this money. And maybe three weeks later, doors just opened for me that I, that I never would have been looking for. I couldn't, I wouldn't have even had time to look in that direction for those things if I hadn't made that, the sacrifice, the sacrifice, it feels like not even the Appropriate language this but the sacrifice of that money and that project to give myself the spaciousness I cried it was hard but to give myself the spaciousness to even look like what else is there because this can't be it and it was it was there was something so amazing and epic sitting there for me that I'm not saying that every single time we make those choices three weeks later something shows up for us very often in fact it's harder and more laborious than that but what I am saying is that yes. when we give ourselves permission to shift and to pivot and to continue to pursue the dreaming, there's something liberating and, and powerful on the other side of that. If we just trust, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, trusting our gut, trusting our body, trusting our instinct as the gospel truth. Well, that was beautiful.
1: Now, usually towards the end, I ask like a fun question and I think this is perfect for you. Uh, I would love to know from you, like if you could, Hey, pull any historical figure who is no longer in the world with us and bring them to the present time and share particular pieces of your social human experience and ask them, like, help me out here, buddy. (laughs) Who would those people be and what would those experiences be? Like if if you could have them just manage it for you or just have like an ongoing conversation with them on it. Um,
0: This is hard. (laughs) And. And it's, my answer is really funny to me because what? But I'm going to go with my first thought because I trust my instinct. My first thought was Jesus Christ. Oh, and that's funny oh, okay, to me okay. because I don't identify as a Christian any longer. But I really, really love Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I really, really like Jesus a lot. And I think that Jesus comes to me Instinctively, because I think that Jesus had really pure magic and and I'm very interested in my own um, journey. Something that I something that I do is I think about um, spiritual archetypes, but who were in flesh. And so so uh, funny enough, one of my spiritual archetypes is Beyonce. (laughs) because she's my contemporary and so i think of her and i think how does beyonce keep her magic pure and but i will also think about that about you know jesus christ and i might even think sometimes about cleopatra um which feels very random but i think about cleopatra because she had these huge rulers like trying to fight to you know give her anything it is that she wanted and so i wonder like what kind of power like what did How does she exist in order to call that into being, right? And so I think about Jesus Christ because I feel like Jesus, my favorite version of Jesus Christ or what I imagine as true Christ, has such pure magic. And 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 was thinking about how to walk this earth as the manifested flesh that is God. You know, that to me is the purpose of the story of Jesus Christ is what does it look like when God wraps itself in flesh and walks the earth? And so Jesus is such a perfect example of like, oh, this is what it would look like. Now, I don't wanna die on the cross for anybody's sins at all, but I know I know that Jesus has so much wisdom or, or if I could just sit down and have a face-to-face conversation with Jesus that, that there's so much deep wisdom you know, look at Jesus meditated, Jesus fasted, Jesus grieved, Jesus, you know, felt, you know, deep disappointment, Jesus felt, you know, the the betrayal of life, Jesus felt very proud, Jesus felt, you know, Jesus as an educator. There's so much that does feel in alignment with my own personal journey that I really identify in so many ways with Jesus Christ. So if I could bring this historical figure to today and just be like what would you do here i'm i'm certain that there are a lot of things that jesus would say that i would be like i'm not doing that but <laughs> yeah. but but there there are so many things that i that i really would reach to and just really marvel at you know how did you how did you look at nothing and turn it into something you know teach me that type of alchemy teach me the type of patience that you had to have to experience the experience that you had in this flesh. And so I I think that since that was my first thought, I'm going to go with Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Every answer you've given me is so like, it's beautiful. And we need to sit with those answers and we need to think about them. And hopefully then adapt a version that works for us and go out and maybe like have a better day uh, and hopefully a better life after that. So this was incredible. Thank you, Ebony Janice. This was amazing. As I said, I've not even, I've got like the questions and questions. My list is huge here, even though I've not had (laughs) you in my life for very long, but I've been consuming your content like obsessively, like how kids are consuming Netflix. and i have to say you've shifted you. a lot of uh, my ideas uh, i want to share one with you uh, i am really someone who believes that oh okay maybe god has a bigger mission for me if something doesn't work out in my life that is the attitude i take but it was in one of your posts where you said don't have that kind of arrogance in you where you can actually make assumptions about what god wants and doesn't want for you if you want something feel bold enough to dream about it, be brave Mm -hmm. enough to dream about it and be blatant and open and let God know this is what I want. Make it happen for me, please. (laughs) And I love that. I love that idea that we all, like you talked about with the resistance, um, the dreaming, uh, like creating from a place of resistance. If we all just had that kind of unconditional courage and that kind of belief, where we felt free enough to just ask for what we want and then make it happen for ourselves, and hopefully have God intervene on our behalf, that would be a really, really beautiful world. Uh, and yeah, this-
0: mm-hmm. because if you just keep living, if you if you want something, if you if you live long enough, you if you just keep living, just don't die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, meaning, meaning meaning That sounds funny, but I mean that. I mean, don't put a flag yeah. in the ground when you feel defeated, don't say I give up right here. If you just live long enough, you'll either see the thing that you desire or you'll outlive it. You'll just, you will come to a place at some point where you will realize, I don't even want that thing anymore. Here's what I actually want. So those are the two options that I give myself. I If I have a desire for something, I just, I just even when I come up on harsh no's, they never mean this is the the end of this story for me, they just mean keep living Ebony Janice. And if you live long enough, you will either see this thing enfleshed in your hands, you will see it, or you will realize that you didn't even have sense enough to want something better than that. And that will be revealed to you. And I've seen that. I've seen the huge manifestation of things that I thought I would never see in my life. And I've also seen myself roll around in the floor crying for things and then one day wake up and realize i'm glad god said no to that one <laughs> you know i'm glad i didn't get my way with that so just now i but i never accept no as the like that's not the end of this story i will just keep living and either i will outlive the desire or i will see it and that's it
1: beautiful 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 everything you've shared it's been so amazing thank you thank you so much for having me Well, what do you know? We've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, for supporting the podcast and for sharing your time with me. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show on whatever podcast platform you love. You can also watch the video version of the interviews and most of the solo episodes on my YouTube channel. Link is in the episode description. Now, if you made it this far, (laughs) you must love the content at least a little bit, or maybe you just like hanging out with me Or there was something in this particular episode that resonated with you. Or maybe it's all of those things. I would love to know. So if you've got a minute, it will be great if you can drop a review on Apple Podcasts or you can send me your thoughts on the show via email. Now, if you want content that goes deeper than even the podcast does with a lot of real life stories, one on one interactions, or just become part of my tribe, subscribe to my weekly newsletter. The link is in the episode description. Once again, thank you so, so much for sharing your time with me. Take care, and I will be back soon with the next episode.